Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, it's finally happening. The Kirby special episode. Um, <laughs> I think it's our second like series-based kind of best of episode of the year, following that super loose Uncharted one. Um, how are you <laughs> feeling about um, dedicating an entire episode to the little pink blob man i know in the background it's been some very serious work for you yeah no good i'm looking i'm looking forward to it unlike the other sort of series we've gone super deep on i have a sort of weirder relationship in that i came to it all much later and it's a series i sort of dismissed for a long time so i'm a bit of a a fake phony fan oh no what's that what's that terms when people come later to a band isn't there a name for them uh, Fairweather fans, is that it? Yeah, I guess. You know, I was about to say Johnny Come Lately. Is that a term? <laughs> yeah, that that too. I mean, <laughs> one, one of whatever whatever works. So yeah. yeah, I'm 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 not gonna pretend that I'm like a hardcore. You know, have been playing for thirty years, have all this under my belt. Um, a lot of this is in the last few years, so it's it's not like an Ace Attorney for me. I'm not as precious about it as I am Zelda. Right, but I do dig it. That's good, yeah. So if you thought that those episodes you consider more of a 9 or a 10 out of 10, just um, set your sights to like a 7 and then your expectations might be blown away to you, the listener. Maybe that's like yeah. the way to pitch it. Uh, <laughs> it's quite fun. I, I was um, uh, talking to uh, another writer this week and they were saying that like, you know, could it, you know, Kirby may uh, could only ever be an 8 maybe. You know, maybe the best ever Kirby game could never be higher than an 8. Mm. Um, you know, maybe he hasn't got the capacity to truly ever give us a 10 out of 10 thrill. So maybe this episode will uh, prove that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So how are we going to break this down? Matthew's done the plan for this one. Um, every time he does a plan, he gets better and better at it. It's sort of like uh, <laughs> I'm more and more impressed by the detail. Oh, and... Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> so section one is all about Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which is obviously um, released on Switch. Um, according to the Amazon chart, it seems to be doing very well. I think that like um, all first party nintendo software this uh, g- generation people just can't get enough of um of this stuff but uh, also just been like um been like fairly fairly hyped i would say for a kirby game probably the most hyped kirby game i can really remember aside, mm. aside from maybe like epic yarn um which was more about the visuals here here though it feels like it's had a groundswell of interest so matthew i suppose like to to kick off then because you've played um kirby the forgotten land and i haven't i'm um i'm getting it for my birthday from my partner let's talk a bit about the history of 3d kirby games and why it's taken so long to get one um maybe you should kick us off with this one you know this is the first 3d game after 30 years and people may be wondering like why that is and there's definitely been a bit of chat around this game on the developer side. There was a very good sort of developer interview about this came out a couple of days ago, uh, which is kind of the spiritual successor series to Iwata Asks. Obviously, sadly, not hosted by Iwata, but they've got a similar energy, like there's laughter involved and lots of people chuckling in, in <laughs> and it's all filmed in one of uh, all, all the photos of the interview come from one of those sort of totally nondescript Nintendo meeting rooms <laughs> yeah. which always make it look like a very very boring place to work I think <laughs> yeah they were basically addressing this and talking about like a the kind of challenges of making a 3D game and a lot of that comes from the fact that they have tried to make 3D Kirby games in the past struggled they have a lot of failed projects. This will come up a couple of times in this episode, I imagine. But there's this sort of quite famous stretch where there's like 10 years with no console console mainline Kirby game. Yeah. They're handheld games, but they and 
it wasn't they weren't making them. It's just they kept making them and, and not quite landing them and cancelling them. And then something kind of big happens, which which kind of like sort of tightens up and kind of revamps the series. But one of those games, of they, they basically worked on three in that period. And the second one was a full 3D Kirby game. And, you know, there's a little screenshot you can see of it in the interview. And you, you can find these things doing the rounds. And it kind of looks sort of similar to what a Forgotten Land ends up looking like. It's sort of an isometric kind of sort of top-down thing. You know, very, like, linear. You know, it's clearly going to be quite a linear level design. It's not like a big open-world 3D game. It's not like a Mario Odyssey or whatever, which is what Forgotten Land kind of ends up being as well. You kind of get the impression that because they had those troubles, like Hal almost gets a bit scared of 3D games like the director of this even says there are people now in Hal who are like "Mm, Kirby's kind of a 2D game and should probably always be a 2D game and I think that's kind of interesting that there are some people are like no we can do it you know you know we've got to set our sights on this and there are others who are like we've been burned by this before let's let's not poke the the 3D bear. Uh, so, so I did um, reading on these three um, cancelled Kirby games. Um, Matthew compiled a Kirby reading pack for me. It was like <laughs> way beyond parody, but incredibly useful. Um, so, yeah, this comes up in the water ass, doesn't it? There is like a, superficially, you look at it and go like, oh, that's like the that's like the first seed of um, Kirby and the Forgotten Land, like twenty right. years ago. You know, um, yeah, which is kind of amazing. I think it's just because he's like um, got the hat and the sword ability right. So. You just look, it's quite a simple 3D surface. Like, it's not a mind blowing looking kind of level he's on. I suppose it was like mm-hmm. super early on anyway. But um, they just, I think they just particularly scrapped that one in particular because they felt like they couldn't get the game quality up to the level they wanted it to. Mm. And then the other ones seemed like they fell afoul of like different elements. It was kind of, it seemed like a bit of a poison chalice for a while, you know? Yeah, though I actually think the three games they failed to make, they kind of have made since. Right. Like one yeah. was a one was like a four player co op game, which they've made several times now. One was this three D one, which they've obviously now made, and the other one was sort of defined by like a weird art style. It was like a pop up book, which you could sort of say Kirby's Epic Yarn is is sort of occupying that space in terms of like th- where the the key factor is the aesthetic rather than like a mechanic. Yeah, that makes sense. So I suppose though that like the the scope of this game, I suppose like the element that wasn't in it's interesting because like the um the whole kind of like a post-apocalyptic like setting element of kirby and the forgotten land seems like even that has a little bit of um an origin in some previous kirby games i believe there's a kirby game that um one of the 3ds ones maybe where there's like a extended like open city section kind of like cordoned off from the rest of the game and that maybe like maybe that is a bit of a Planted the seed a little bit, um, where you could move Kirby around in 3D, and they were thinking about it in more detail. And that's yeah, yeah, that's that's like the city trial mode in Kirby's Air Ride, yeah, which is like a big 3D map. Yeah, that that one's weird. Kirby's Air Ride, I must admit, I don't have like a huge amount of experience with, and doesn't feature heavily in this episode. So I know there's like a few people who'll tell you it's like secretly like the best one or one of the top five ones but it may not feature so don't don't be cross with me um <laughs> yeah yeah like they have they've definitely like they've tried so much with this series and the series is sort of defined by a complete grab bag approach to ideas that you're gonna find a lot of crossovers in a lot of places yeah but it's just really interesting how they'll have an idea and then it may be like years down the line before it becomes something concrete and mm. um, I think a lot of this comes down to, um, we can talk about this in section two more, but 
how there is this kind of quite nebulous idea of what Kirby is. Like, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, uh, it's like compared to Mario and Zelda, which, you know, you could you could argue that the 2D and 3D areas of those games are quite uh, significantly different, but like it is one translated to the other, essentially. With Kirby, it's like um, in that Awata Ras, there are like uh, four or five different answers of what a Kirby game is. And mm. a few of them kind of tap into the idea that like a Kirby game can be anything as long as it's kind of like got fun action at its core and that like um, younger players can, can at least pick it up and play it. But hardcore players mm. can also enjoy the how elaborate it gets. But if we look at like Kirby's history in terms of like the actual games themselves, it's a real kind of muddled mix. It's, it's hard to pick a through line, you know what I mean? Oh, it's it's really hard. I've I've attempted and will attempt in section two to outline the three eras of Kirby, <laughs> but it is it's still really messy, and there's always exceptions to the rule. One thing that comes out through all of this is like what an unusual studio Hal is, and how little we we kind of know about Hal Laboratories in terms of like their working practices. They're they're obviously they're they're so closely associated with Nintendo. They are an independent studio, but they feel like they are a division of Nintendo. They feel like, you know, they were in their building at one point, you know, they shared a space. Obviously, they're so closely tied that, you know, Awata goes from being president of HAL and sort of HAL superstar programming mega mind to president of Nintendo. You know, their fates are 100% intertwined. But I get the feeling that there's, like, weirder stuff going on at HAL, like uh, that they're slightly, like, looser then maybe like the the internal Nintendo teams, you know, there isn't like a stern Miyamoto figure necessarily at Hal, who's kind of like keeping everyone in line and keeping things a bit more conservative, and like with that become comes variable quality, but also just the mad like spread of ideas. I sort of like um, I have more thoughts on that, Matthew, because um, mm. because I think it you can see a clear path of how like different generations of game design lead to this game here. Um, mm. and like how fresh blood kind of like um, just uh, you know uh, people have different in- intentions of what to do with Kirby different ambitions and different you know outside looking in perspectives end up being quite valuable but I suppose like to kind of d- discuss um, uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land in more detail I suppose like a good starting point here is do you think this is a good entry for a Kirby newcomer yeah I mean again ironically because of Kirby's accessible nature you know, they're all kind of designed for you to just pick up and be able to do. Like, none of them require, like, any prior Kirby knowledge to kind of grasp or pass. It's quite sexy looking in 3D. There's a lot of, like, shiny fun. Like, it's it's very, very eager to please this game, and it's absolutely, like, packed with ideas. It's very, very fast-moving, even by Kirby standards. It's, like, whipping you through stuff, and I think you can probably see, like, everything this game has to offer a bit faster than you can with some of the other recent Kirby games. You know, it has a lot of interesting end game content, but it's slightly like shorter and more to the point than say like the 3DS and the Wii games. So you can kind of, you know, I think you can comfortably see like the full extent of this game in like, you know, it's a difference of like 15 hours to say 25 hours. You know, some people may see that as a negative that they're not getting as much out of it, but I think it's just uh, it's it's a super lean which makes it like very, very accessible and fun. Okay, yeah, interesting stuff. And that was um, the only thing that caught my eye is just how how elaborate it looks. I mean, it feels like a lot of the time Kirby games are positioned as sort of like maybe second tier Nintendo games, but this one feels like it's very prime time. And I think it just comes down to being this very confident looking 3D game, um, uh, kind of just a, and quite a striking choice of setting. 
but I suppose like a good question to ask here, Matthew, is is this game to the Kirby series what like um, Super Mario Odyssey is to, or or you know Mario Galaxy is to the Mario series? Is it that level of transformation? Do you think, despite the um, the slightly easier difficulty? I don't think so. I don't think it's quite there. There's obviously a huge temptation to link this to Odyssey in that you know Odyssey is about taking control of of enemies and sort of possessing them and this has as well as the copy abilities which is sort of that where Kirby inhales and then becomes you know develops enemy powers you can also sort of possess objects by stretching over them it's called mouthful mode I actually think mouthful mode is probably like the weakest element of this game you know it's it's very it's very funny you know seeing Kirby as a car and then he like stretches his gob around a big pipe and you know that's just funny just the sentence is funny to me um you know you can stretch yourself over a big locker unit and things like that all kind of vending machines and a lot of the fun of the game is sort of seeing like what it what it does next but i would say that side of the game dries up quite quickly like it, it sort of front loads a lot of the mouthful stuff and they're also they're not particularly deep like i think the mario transformations in odyssey are, are a bit more mechanically interesting they're more like fully featured characters for you to kind of like manipulate and get your head around here a vending machine is basically just a gun because it shoots cans and the pipe just rolls and jumps and so when you see them you know exactly what you're gonna get i I don't think it ever really like truly takes off I, i think what maybe holds kirby back from troubling mario for me anyway is that it's doesn't really feel like a like a sort of sandbox to play and I don't mean that in terms of like an open world but I mean I don't think the ideas are sort of deep enough they're kind of designed to show you everything they have at first glimpse like it doesn't really it's not too worried about like depth of anything everything's quite surface level very fun very instantly silly and enjoyable where Mario I think has that too but then you there's always an extra like level to it you know you can go back and just like relish in the mechanics or relish in the feel and i don't think kirby quite has that i think that that will always hold it back that makes sense i think something you noted last week when we talked about what we've been playing lately is that the um the ideas come along and then they're sort of gone before they really kind of get a chance to do anything that elaborate with yeah. them do you think that's but that, that's yeah but you don't really you don't really notice it as much because you know it's gone because there's another thing there and it's only when i think you go back and and do like the late game stuff or st- or go back into levels to like hoover up the collectibles you've missed or whatever that that you think oh maybe there's not quite as much to this you know it's it's uh, you know i've been playing a little bit more of it post review and maybe i've called on like a couple of bits of it because of that where you're like uh this hasn't quite got the legs you know, not so much that it like impact. You know, I still had enough fun from it that I was like, yeah, that was really satisfying. I enjoyed it. I just don't think you'll be playing it like, you know, three, four times over. Right, right. Are there any new mechanics in this game that add wrinkles to the Kirby formula? Outside of that mouthful stuff, um, the big thing is that you like level up the copy abilities. You can hoover like the bomb character, and then you just throw a bomb. But if you level it up again when you start throwing bombs they sort of chain together and if you chain multiple bombs the explosions get bigger and then if you upgrade it again it has that chaining ability and the bombs will home in so you can basically lay a big like strip of bombs and then they'll all kind of drive towards the enemy and 
you know explode massively and all the copyabilities have those kind of tiers the flip side to it is that maybe they're not quite as complicated as some of the copyabilities in the other games like they've stripped the moveset back i think that is one of the 3d things they've done to make it more graspable in 3d but i'd say that is countered by just like how wild some of the abilities get like really by the end of the game like you're meant to have everything upgraded you can upgrade things like beyond their maximum level a little bit for like doing like the boss rush mode so you're basically trying to make this power as godlike as possible and then you go and you can like you know you end up killing like regular bosses in like one blow like their health bar just vanishes in a second and so it's it's more about like the wild excess of it which that's quite fun but it again it has like a limit after a while, you're like, well, I I have maxed this stuff out. Yeah, okay, that that does make sense. But um, I don't know, bold, it's bold certainly in its own way. Um, yeah, yeah, and it like visually, it means every three or four hours, like everything's every move is getting a like a big visual upgrade. So like the last stretch of the game, you know, you're dealing with like some of the, the special effects on the on the powers are like really really wild. They're they're you know a lot of them are just sort of light shows more than like anything technically deeper but their footage you'd record at the end of the game will look noticeably different to the footage at the start just because it is kind of crazier and that's quite an interesting like like visual like power curve (laughs) yeah for sure um of all the kind of like bits and pieces i've seen about this game doing the rounds matthew the thing that i was really impressed by was the fact that the 3d action um the camera perspective determines the kind of like hitboxing of whether you hit enemies with the the sword and stuff like um or different items and yeah that seems like a magic trick like basically they've kind of programmed it so if it looks like you've hit them you have hit them which i don't even know how to vaguely know how that sort of thing works but were you kind of blown away by that when looking at the making of this game yeah absolutely and the fact that on twitter loads of devs were reposting it suggested like because I, I wondered like was this a thing everyone does and lots of people were like holy shit this is such a cool idea like what a what a great way of doing it like if it if it looks like it works then it works I mean, what a what an amazingly like simple sort of I was going to say like Nintendo, you know, galaxy brain thinking, but it's not. It's Hal thinking. You know, they're they're the ones who came up with this. Uh, it's not an internal Nintendo team, but yeah, like that as their solution to how can we make a really accessible three D action game? Because he says elsewhere in the interview, you know, you know, I think he even says like I feasibly could a three year old play this game is in the back of his mind, and you forget like. You know, three super young, and you know your hand-eye coordination really isn't there. And the idea that they've tried to like sort of absolutely childproof it—I mean, that's always sort of been part of Kirby. But to see them state it so explicitly and have such like an elegant solution to it—and there's loads of stuff like that in the game. Like it's got really generous auto aiming, but it doesn't feel like it's pulling your projectiles. It doesn't feel like it's faking it, but actually, it like 100% is. Mm. Um, you know, it hides a lot of its help. That's the other important thing. You don't want to feel like it's pandering to you or being like condescending, and it never does. You know, in the moment, you're like, yeah, I'm fucking Kirby, I'm tearing it up. Um, <laughs> but it's actually because there's all this like cool stuff going on under the hood. And I think that's 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 real magic. Like, if there's a bit of a game, you know, in hindsight, that is like 10 out of 10 thinking, the art of that, I think, is, is that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I understand this has like a kind of... Um 
Bayonetta style witch time combat mechanic too, like a, a dodge and then a slow down timer. Breath of the Wild had this too, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. Of, of, of any note? Do you think they've done a few slow mo dodge stuff before in in a, in a couple of moments in the series? Where that probably comes into action more is in the um, some of the end game stuff. It's kind of a Kirby tradition in this modern era of Kirby now that there's hidden extra hard versions of the bosses where they kind of redesign them and give them like new moves and new looks and things and they're definitely like a lot tougher than the basic bosses yeah you have to be doing this like witch time dodging there are lots of like dash moves and projectiles which they want you to zip out the way and we've always talked about kirby being like your like my first platformer and i i actually mentioned this in my vgc review of forgotten land like there are some 3d like arena boss battles in this where you're like this actually feels like my first platinum game right you know in terms of the way the monster like evolves through the fight like the phases of the fight the kind of control of like space and like oh this is you know this bit of the battle you can't possibly lay an attack on this is about like dodging their mad moves and identifying a window where you can land some hits that's actually like pure platinum and the kind of guy who heads up kirby he loves boss fights like in every interview he's always talking about like i really like bosses and i really like like fun level gimmicks like those are the two things and he's kind of the reason that every kirby game now ends with you fighting god in space Um, i guess who liked that idea (laughs) yeah well this is it like i honestly i think this guy is like secretly not even secretly he's out and out like legit brilliant um he's called shinya kumazaki and Everything he seems to like about games is what I like about games. Right. It's he, He's like, they end so big, and I'm going to treat this like so seriously and so sincere, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to do it in a way that like anyone can play it and anyone can enjoy it. How great is that? You know, the art of the boss fight is, is kind of a, a bit of a dying art anyway, I think. And mm. for him to kind of be representing it, you know, it, it better than, you know, I think the boss fights here are like way more interesting than like, mario boss fights have been recently hmm. um yeah I just yeah i think it's like seriously seriously good stuff yeah that's cool um so i suppose like elsewhere with this one matthew um was there anything about the making of it that kind of surprised you or you found um you know particularly insightful because i know like nintendo did the series of um interviews this kind of spiritual successor to water is there anything else in that series of interviews that you wanted to pull out here if it felt like we could be entering like another generation of kirby Hmm. so you know this this kumazaki guy that i mentioned has he's basically been mr kirby for the last 10 years Hmm. and it it is sort of almost sort of single-handedly uh kind of um credited with kind of revamping the series and we'll see how that impacts on the rankings later. <laughs> um, you know, this one, he didn't direct this one. This one, he's like the general manager of Kirby. And like, uh, it, it, you know, it's another guy's first directing gig. And you wonder, like, is this now, you know, are they laying the template for the next 10 years of Kirby with Forgotten Land? And kind of the fact that they've they've spent this game answering a lot of questions about like how to make a 3d kirby game rather than in the interview they say like we weren't really interested in like what the world design was or what the specific gimmicks were going to be you know the design document was about like how to make 3d platforming work like in our world with kirby you know they talked about things like 
his silhouette is nightmarish because you, you can never see what direction he's meant to, he's actually facing and how do you make an action game where a character can just float over everyone and you know they've always had this problem with Kirby so he can fly around stuff and they're like in 3D there's even more space for him to avoid trouble it's like how do you get people to engage with things and it feels like they've just done a lot of deep thinking about like the broad idea of 3D Kirby and I'm kind of like more excited like what the the inevitable sequel or the next kind of 3D style Kirby will look like as a result. Mm. Okay, yeah. I'm um I I share your optimism about the um the future of the series. Was there anything else mm. about like the Kirby the Forgotten Land that you think is worth highlighting to people who are thinking about buying it but maybe don't have that kind of fundamental interest in Kirby? It does start super easy, but there is some really interesting stuff um, towards the end. Again, like I don't really want to spoil it because I know you're getting it for your birthday. <laughs> um, so it does, it does go to some wilder places. I would say with Kirby games, the mistake is to stop playing them at the end credits. Right. Like there's always better stuff beyond it. You know, they're quite explicit about that and I think you'd want to get your money's worth. But there's, that's definitely the case here. Like some of the kind of weirder stuff i also really like just a complete side note that came up in that interview uh kumizaki saying that he wanted everyone to read the text on the unlockable gashapon because he said that's where all like the deep lore is and (laughs) he's basically like gone like full fucking dark souls it's absolutely hilarious like and this he he has done this in the past like he puts when you pause the game he puts a lot of lore about what you're currently looking at on the pause screen Hmm. so like you know how people build the Dark Souls story out of item descriptions? He also does that and has been doing that for 10 years. Right, like, right. It's, I kind of dismissed a lot of it, but just doing some half-assed internet research <laughs> came up with, yeah, there are like people who are like super into Kirby lore, but, and it's like all him. Like He's like the one, he's like the guy who's single-handedly responsible for all that. Wow. Um, and it's just really funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> amazing stuff that's good um so i suppose uh, matthew is this like is this for you what you see as the template of, the, of for kirby going forward so you mentioned that like hal has put the pieces in place seemingly to like make this the next generation of kirby but as someone who has played this game is this the direction you want the series to go in they've said that they'll still do 2d kirby 2 and i i do really like the 2d kirby games I think they're in a really, really good place, and I'd be sad for them to stop that. I, I think there is an even better version of this. Like, I, th- I think this is a, a, a absolute delight, a real treat, a real surprise at like how good it is for their first big 3D game. But I think there's definitely room for them to do more, and I would like to see a slightly bolder, maybe like a like grow mouthful or replace mouthful with like a sort of second a second kind of big mechanic that's a bit more interesting a bit more varied mm. they've definitely done more interesting kind of a lot of their games have like a big sort of flagpole feature on the box and i don't think mouthful is quite as interesting as as some of the others okay. even though it's obviously like prime meme territory <laughs> It sure is. It's going to take us so much self-control, not just to stretch Kirby over all kinds of like weird shit for the next 10 years. Right, yeah. I saw someone say, um, share a meme that said, what is the correct way for Kirby to drive a car? And it was like, it showed the mouthful mechanic <laughs> from this game. And then it showed, it was like that dog meme with the trousers. And it's like, or should right. should he be wrapping around the end of the car? Should he be sat inside the car? And someone shared it saying like... Um, just think, if you understand all of this, you are just too online. This meme, like <laughs> you need to get off, you need to get off the internet. And I was like, God, I understand every single layer of this, and I, I do hate myself for it a little bit. 
Um, so that's good. Okay, my last question about this one, Matthew, because I know this has like a, a multiplayer mode. So you can, you can play the whole game with a, a Waddle D by your side, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so did you get to try that at all? I played a couple of levels with Catherine, the obligatory uh, co-op review test. <laughs> where you're like, you're like, yep, that works. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you're showing way too much behind the curtain there, Matthew. Um, of, you of course play through the entire game again with Catherine by your oh, side. Yes, of course. Oh, so many times, Kitsy, have you got five minutes to come and play co-op in this game with me? <laughs> and then you're like, that'll do for a box out. Oh, the co-op is so good. The lunch times we shared. <laughs> okay, good. It's, it's dead simple, but it's it, it's quite nice if you're a parent and a kid. Co-op combo i'd maybe let the kid play as kirby like waddle d isn't particularly interesting but you can basically act as like a bottle a bodyguard for a younger player because otherwise it'll be, be a bit like dad or mum has all the kind of wild abilities and the kid just gets a tag along poking things with a stick <laughs> so um you know be yeah. gracious let your kid play kirby let your kid play kirby depending on how uh, what your parenting style is like um maybe you want to teach them about the harshness of the world by having them play as waddle d and being underpowered and it's like one day son you can be kirby um yeah <laughs> being kirby oh my god it's just so typical of their generation they just had it all didn't they <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay good so um matthew let's call it a break there because we've got two other sections to get through yeah the uh section... and we've got lots of kirby music i want to stick in this episode well there you go that's um that's why there's uh more sections than usual a little peek behind the curtain oh there. don't dig <laughs> <laughs> no it's good I'm, I'm, I'm excited it's good all right no more no more jokes at matthew castle's expense let's take a quick break Welcome back to the podcast. So in this section, we're going to talk a bit more broadly about the history of Kirby. And then in the section after that, uh, Matthew's going to deliver his rankings of the top five Kirby games. Very exciting. So, Matthew, first encounters with Kirby. Can I go first here? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay, so my first encounter with Kirby, it's the first game I ever owned, um, Kirby's Dreamland. Oh, wow. So I don't think it's the first game I ever played. I think the first game I ever played was either Mario is Missing on an old Windows PC or Sonic the Hedgehog on my uncle's Mega Drive. But, um... Kirby was the first game I ever owned, and I think like '94, my parents bought me a Game Boy and Kirby's Dreamland, and then I think maybe a little bit later I got um, one of those Game and Watch compilations. So Kirby was the the clear winner out of those two, mm. and like I, I suspect they bought it because it looked like a kid friendly game. Maybe it came as a bundle or something. But um, you know, I knew I always kind of like knew Kirby as this little. Uh, blob lad who could consume enemies and stuff it was the first game i ever completed as well and i did that by flying over the entire levels rather than properly engaging with it because that's what you can do in the early kirby games um but you know it felt very it felt very exciting to have completed a kirby game Um, i was very fond of it it was extremely short in retrospect very easy um but Mm. perfectly calibrated for kids um Mm. in a way that like when you think about it Kirby's Dreamland is such a simple game compared to Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Like the idea of having level up mechanics for the different um, copy abilities and um, the mouthful stuff, even if it's like fairly kind of, um, you know, uh, fairly th- thin in terms of like the actual substance of the mechanic, it's it's still like more complications than Kirby's Dreamland has, which is very much like a 
a simple um, left to right uh, side scrolling platformer. Yeah, you can't even copy the abilities in it, can you? It's just, just yeah. inhale and shoot. Yeah, so that that comes in the um, NES ninety three game Kirby's Adventure, I believe. The copy abilities. Yeah, that's thing. right. Yeah. But what I will say is. I think that these were nicer looking games than the Mario Land games on the Game Boy. Um, mm. I think they like looked the part. Uh, I think their like monochrome sort of visual style was perfectly calibrated for their Game Boy um, in a way that like maybe Mario had to compromise a bit by being translated from NES to Game Boy. Um, but well, mm. I was saying that like Zelda translated very well, didn't it? So I don't know. I just thought it was. Um, I think it was like a, a bit nicer looking. Um, so yeah, that's my first encounter with Kirby Matthew. It was a First game I ever completed, first game I ever owned. Um, I have a, I guess, like a twenty-eight year relationship with Kirby. Um, of a sense, not a romantic relationship, but you know. Um, <laughs> so, how about Good. you? What's, what's your first? What's your first? Thanks experience? for clarifying. <laughs> I think in terms of like the one that I like properly played, it may even been like when I was on Endgamer, like recording virtual console footage. I think for a long time, whenever my path did cross with Kirby, the fact that it was so easy and such a sort of beginner sort of obviously a beginner's game particularly dreamland on the game boy the snobby part of my young gamer brain would be like well, who would want to play this when you could be playing super mario land 2 or james bond <laughs> on the game boy <laughs> for two classics James Bond. Uh. <laughs> it's it's great it's zelda but bond yeah it's good <laughs> also like i inherited some sniffiness about kirby from n64 magazine because they were definitely always like, oh, it's a bit short and easy, you know, dumb Kirby. You know, he wasn't like, I didn't feel like he was loved by that line of magazines. And when you haven't played a game, especially, at, you know, in that at that time when you couldn't just go and watch like an entire playthrough on YouTube, you kind of absorbed other people's opinions and regurgitated them as your own. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of my like early anti-Kirby bias is just because I hadn't played a lot of them. And Mags told me they were all a little bit 7 out of 10, when at the time it was like 9 out of 10 or death, basically. Mm. Yeah, um, I, th- I think also to be fair, the Kirby games are super simple. And like particularly like around that area you're talking about, it's not like, like I say, they were, I always sort of thought of them as second rung Nintendo games. And yeah, I, I think it's like not an entirely unfair reputation. Particularly like you know, SNES and N64 era, like the price of games. The idea of buying a Kirby game was such an indulgence. Like the idea that like one of the two or three new games you might play that year could feasibly be a two-hour Kirby adventure. Mm. You just wouldn't do it. Weirdly, Kirby makes a lot more sense now. And because I think a lot of people didn't play those games for that exact reason, because of the pricing... There's actually quite a like treasure trove to discover now, and they sort of hold up. There is something kind of timeless about them. Like they're they're so abstract in a way that they they a lot of them still work now, and you can have a lot of fun sort of playing things which you were sniffy about because they got seven out of ten in N sixty four mag, and then when you do play them now, you're like, oh, actually, this this is kind of legit. This is all right, you know. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to spend sixty quid on it, but like now for a fiver or as part of an online subscription or whatever a lot of these games make a lot more sense to me yeah for sure uh, they're kind of um, pleasant to revisit and haven't um, because they're kind of simple you don't get as annoyed with the um uh sort of like archaic um it's super hard bits that you know might might frustrate you revisiting like a snes era game or something like that yeah but, um, and, and because a lot of them stay in the 2d space when everyone else is moving into 3d mm. kirby was already like a pretty you know competent nice feeling 2d platform they only sort of get better at it 
Yeah. You know, like they, they stay in that lane, but they become real masters of like game feel and, you know, just the technical accomplishment of those games, you know, is, is pretty rad. So, yeah, like I can sort of understand like why, why, you know, why would you stop making these 2D games when you are so good at them? Yeah. And you know you can do them. And, and for that reason, they, they, they definitely hold up better than a lot of their, um, their sort of counterparts from the time. So, Matthew, you got me to do a bunch of reading for this episode. Um, one of yeah. the pieces I liked the most was um, an old uh, Japanese interview with um, Masahiro Sakurai, the creator of Kirby, about the um, about Smash Brothers, of all things. But um, mm-hmm. it, that that begins with a bit of background about his history um, with the series and how he started making it. So he joined HAL Laboratory at 19, I believe. Um, started kind of like uh, was working on another game, then started noodling away on. Um, He's the Kirby's. Samuel Roberts of game de- designers. <laughs> I was there thinking, like, how do you get a job at a studio like that without a degree? I guess it's just you know, if you're a whiz at this stuff, and he clearly was, then maybe that's. Um... How do you get? A, how do you get a job on uh, one of the UK's most popular PlayStation magazines? Oh, you send in a bad review of uh, Zone of the Enders Two. That's how you do it. Maybe um... that's maybe that's what he did. <laughs> Um, so he's like 19 and makes this yeah. game and like Hal tries to pitch it as a game that it will publish itself and it gets rejected because they think it will only sell a few thousand copies. Um, but Nintendo are really into it and really into him and they decide to publish it. It sells 1.5 million copies. And so Kirby from that point is established as a Nintendo series, even though it was never intended to be, you know, like a Nintendo owned sort of property. So which is really mm. interesting. Um, but I kind of want you to take it from there because I know you've done a lot of reading about Kirby's history generally. So where does it go from there? And what's your sort of grand unifying theory on the like different eras of Kirby? It's interesting from a tech perspective that it starts on like Game Boy because with each evolution of this, you know, it goes from like the most basic version of what it can possibly do on Game Boy. They then get NES, they get a bit of extra power, they then get SNES. A lot of these games are made super late in their console's lifespan which is a, sort of an interesting quirk of them. Kirby's Adventure comes out way into the SNES era, and Kirby Superstar comes out on the SNES. N64 is already out. That's that's like the mad thing with these. You know, they're working like in a very old-fashioned space. They feel kind of cutting edge within within 2D platformers. Um, I just want to go back to some of that origin stuff right at the start with Dreamland, because there are a couple of other funny things. Um, there's a really good translated uh, interview on that... Um, is it? I can never pronounce it. Shmuplations. Shmuplations. I always thought of it as shmup. Shmuplations. Yeah. Um, it's the interview where the famously awful Kirby drawings come from. Um, <laughs> if you've ever seen, there's there was like a gimmick where each of the interviewees tried to draw Kirby. Miyamoto's is legit. Sakurai's is obviously good. Miyamoto's is fine. And then there's like a programmer who basically <laughs> draws this kind of screaming kind of U shape. It's really megaly cursed and like kind of a hilarious advert for this this programmer is like ah fucking there you go that's that's what you're getting (laughs) what i love about that matthew is that the whole founding principle of kirby as a character design is that anyone can draw kirby and like that interview is um you know empirical evidence that that is not the case um (laughs) yeah that's yeah because what it sort of says oh they wanted a character you could be able to like doodle on your sketchbook i mean one of the most delightful touches about Kirby's adventure is that in the opening to the game, you get the studio logo, and then the intro cinematic is a tutorial on how to draw Kirby. It hasn't got lyric. It hasn't got like you know, it's not sung because obviously it's NES and there's limitations. But it kind of sort of says, oh, "You draw a little circle, and then you draw some eyes." You can imagine them singing it. I was like, every Kirby game should open with this. It's yeah. kind of mad that they don't. It's so it's so sweet and so like the 
kind of key sort of ethos of what that character's about. I also like the fact that there's a lot of disagreement about what colour Kirby is <laughs> before they make the NES game. Mm. Like, Sakurai's like, in my head, he was always pink. Miyamoto thinks he's yellow because he says, like Pac-Man, everything was yellow. Right. Um, <laughs> I guess at the time that's sort of true. Yeah. Nintendo of America make him white on the box, which Iwata says has a mysterious aura. Yeah, generous, <laughs> I thought, from Iwata there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought he just—he he just looks a little bit undercooked in retrospect. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't—the yeah. design doesn't look all the way there, and of course it isn't because they later detail it out a little bit more. Um, oh. but yeah, that is funny. There's obviously the famous story about the name. Uh, Hal internally called him Twinkle Popo or <laughs> Twinkle Popo. I don't know how we were meant to pronounce that. Right. I think I wonder if it's Popo because of Pop Star the Planet. Right. But Nintendo America suggested calling him Gasper, which is just <laughs> horrible. Because it's the idea that he's, like, gulping in breath. Like, I don't know, it's too biological. Kirby is quite cursed in its own way, isn't he? Like, um, I played Kirby's Dreamland 2 yesterday, not to get us off on a tangent here. And I forgot that when you swallow something, let's say, like, there's a little chicken enemy going around, quite cute, not particularly deadly, you suck it up, and then you press down on the D-pad, and it just, like, swallows, and it's gone. And you're like, where the fuck did that chicken go? And, like, there is a fundamental curse element to Kirby of, like... (laughs) Yes, he's eating stuff and blowing it out. But when he swallows it, where did it go? Because he can do that for every single enemy in the game. What abyss waits inside that little pink blob? Like, it's it's more cursed than maybe we think of it as, just because he's such a cute yeah. little character. Um, but that's just a There is tangent. the DS game where the bottom screen is Kirby's stomach. <laughs> right, okay. Where, like, you inhale stuff and you can st- basically store stuff in there, like an inventory. So maybe that gives us, like, a direct visual representation of what it's like in there. Right, yeah. Lots of Quite a about. boring inventory screen is the answer. <laughs> uh, Squeak Squad or Mass Attack, or whatever you want to call it, uh, will not be featuring my list. So that is probably the first and last reference to it. Right. So enjoy- I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> The other thing, in when you inhale them, I can't remember if it does this in Kirby's Adventure, it definitely does it in Superstar. You've got it in your gob, and then you press down to swallow it, and then the copy ability appears as a card on screen, so it'll say, like, Blade or Fire. But if it's a character that doesn't give you ability, which is, like, your basic fodder, I think it just says, like, Empty? Right. Or, like, there was nothing in it. And it's the idea of, like, there was just no substance, like, empty calories. Like, there are some creatures that have, like, no worth in this world. <laughs> They're just things that you just dissolve and they become nothing. Yeah. That is very sinister. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Kirby's Adventure, they obviously, you know, they add the copy ability. That's, that's, a bit, that's where Kirby gets his, like, defining skill. Because they want you to kind of engage more with the enemies. They don't want you to just fly over. They want to give you a reason to kind of actually kind of connect with the world it's a much bigger game it's much longer there's like secret exits and all kinds of hidden secrets feels like a more complete game um i think it like sounds like it sort of almost kills the producer on it from nintendo right because they start talking about how he has to go and have a hot bath before work every day because he's so <laughs> stressed out i am a big fan of any anecdote that involves japanese hot baths there was one in ace attorney as well <laughs> where like all the executive producers keep fucking off for like luxury baths and shudakumi's going mad like why don't we get to do this um <laughs> it sucks um so good um good continued uh lineage of uh, hot bath stories from nintendo <laughs> that's where he gets his defining skill and then of it you know the, the probably the key evolution then is to superstar which is the the snes medley of games and it's here that the abilities kind of evolve into what we probably recognize as like modern kirby in that when you inhale an enemy and take its power 
there's like multiple moves to it. It's not just like one power. And I always assumed this was just like a natural evolution of like, well, we did we did these basic powers. I just want to do something a bit spicier. Where actually Sakurai says it comes from co-op. You know, Nintendo is like, we want there to be co-op in the SNES game. So he builds that in. Um, because of that, they start like, you know, two characters can chew through enemies a bit faster. So they decide to make all the enemies a little bit tougher. They take multiple hits now. But then, because you're going to be playing in single player as well, he's like, well, it's going to be a bit of a drag if you're having to, like, fight these things. So I'll give these powers, like, more elements to them. They'll have, like, deeper movesets, so that becomes satisfying. So, weirdly, it's like a roundabout result of having to make a co-op mode that Kirby becomes more complicated as a single player character. Okay, that makes sense. The other element to this is, I was going to say that, like, um, Superstar represents seemingly represents a kind of like um, the whole idea that there is no sort of like one idea of what Kirby is in a very kind mm. of literal way by being a medley of games. But by this point, you've already had like um, very well liked Kirby's Pinball Land and um, a variety of spinoffs. You're up to like I think like there's eight games before you get to Superstar. So it's a lot of Kirby very quickly. So it seems like it was always built into the DNA of the character that like there was no one approach to Kirby, you know. But how do things kind of go from there, Matthew? What happens after Kirby Superstar? Superstar is just is really sacri- you know, it's sort of Sakurai's sort of game through and through. There's there's tons of him, tons of him in it. There's loads of like stuff you can still see in Smash Brothers now in there as well. Like he's obviously got these like interesting obsessions. So I think it's, you know, it the main line, the first three mainline Kirby games are like I feel like you can really attribute them to sort of sac- not Sakurai and Sakurai alone, but they are so clearly the result of him uh, doing that. And but after this, he sort of branches out. He goes on to make Smash Brothers. He's still at HAL, but he's not working on Kirby anymore. And I think we enter like the second era of Kirby, which is probably the hardest one to define. This is where you get like Dreamland Two is happening on the Game Boy, Sakurai's not involved. Dreamland 3, which is like one of the very last SNES games made, um, Sakurai's not involved. You get the N64 version, which is directed by the same guy who did Dreamland 2 and Dreamland 3. I would say they're harder to kind of get a through line on these games. I don't know if you've played any of them, but they're like they're even more sort of surreal than before. Like Dream, you know, Dreamland 3 goes like very heavily on like animal helpers and the idea is that you're like riding giant hamsters and cats and things and the ability Kirby has when he jumps on those animals then can change the animal's abilities further so it's kind of like a combo element to it it's then sort of reflected in Kirby 64 where the big mechanic there is that you mix together two copy abilities to make new Kirby forms Mm. Kirby 64 isn't in my list of all-time greats yeah but I think it is kind of rad and I really hope they add it to the N64 VC service because it's very very charming and some of the combos are absolutely hilarious like if you i think if you mix like ice kirby and electric kirby he turns into like a fridge and then he (laughs) pukes up food which i just think is absolutely brilliant it's like attacking people with random food sprites yeah i so i i did play um kirby 64 when it came out on um wii virtual console and right even though i agree with you there is that level of invention to it it was a proper babby game i thought it was really really simple um yeah and maybe just seemed less sexy in the wake of um mario 64 you know like it was yeah maybe i think some of the reviews were kind of a bit um over playing a 2d kirby as well at the time if i recall um but you yeah. know as beautiful as the 3d graphics were you know we've talked about this on the podcast before that like era at the start of like n64 and ps1 where almost people were kind of no uh, not not 
2D, 3D or bust. And and I'm not saying like Kirby is some great hidden gem which sort of slipped through the cracks, but it's definitely like worth a play on VC or, you know, should it come to Switch Online, I think it would be, you know, it's it's only like two or three hours long. Yeah. So, you know, it's not going to eat up loads of your time, but it's still got, like, fun character design. It's got some quite good bosses, quite a simple art style, which, again, hasn't, like, aged massively. It's still it's quite clean-looking. Yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's, like, considering, like, for years, I was always, like, that game's shit because N64 magazine told me it was shit. Yeah. And actually, it's not. There's There's something there. It's no Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, though, is it, Matthew? It, it Hence, isn't, no. <laughs> That's why it's not on my, uh, my N64 Mini. Yeah, um, very good. <laughs> Um, so after that, there is this kind of like weird hiatus period with Kirby. What what happens there? Because this is where the three kind of like proto Kirby games that never come out happen. But like, um, how did you sort of perceive that era in Hal of figuring out what Kirby is after that? There's still sort of stuff going on in that. You feel like the like the mainline Kirby brains are basically making Kirby games that don't happen. But around it, you're getting well loved handheld games. People like Amazing Mirror on Game Boy Advance. I don't really, I must say. It's it's not for me. There's a remake of Kirby's uh, Adventure, which is called Nightmare in Dreamland, which it's got quite handsome sort of sprite work. Then we get into the realms of, like, DS comes out, and we get sort of Kirby's Power Paintbrush. One of the sort of more experimental spin-offs, but, you know, really great where you're kind of drawing onto the world and um, guiding Kirby that way. So there are, there are, like, good Kirby games happening. They just haven't really worked out what mainline Kirby is. That kind of changes in 2011, which is where you get Kirby's Wii Adventure or Return to Dreamland, I think it's called in America. This is where Shinya Kumazaki, this is the first one he directs, and he arguably like knocks it out of the park and creates the formula for like definitely uh, the next two 3DS games, which are really beloved. And he becomes he basically becomes Mr. Kirby at how I think based on like the critical reception to that game um, again. Endgamer is weirdly cool on Kirby's Wii Adventure. I think we we were wrong on that. I think it's one of the few scores where I'm like, maybe the, the full kind of extent of this game or the fun of this game, we were a bit snooty about difficulty. I don't know, but uh, you know, I didn't review it and I don't want to cast aspersions. Personally, did. I mean, it, was, it was a great review. I just feel like, in hindsight, I would have scored it much higher, not to give away what goes on in the rankings. Um <laughs> This is the third era of Kirby. You know, you've got the you've got the Sakurai where there's clearly someone with a very clear vision at the reins. Then you get this weird period in between where it just feels like lots of people are kind of taking a swing at Kirby. And then you get this era, which is the Kumazaki era, which again, like Sakurai, it just there is clearly someone bringing it all together. It's just far more coherent. He kind of cuts his teeth on a remake of Superstar for uh, Nintendo DS. He does Superstar Ultra. Mm-hmm. So you know. Does that make him the obvious like heir apparent to Sakurai? I don't know, but he I would say he he brings his own star to it and he imprints his own uh like values on it, his love of amazing boss fights, his kind of interest in like weird, slightly cosmic horror <laughs> uh in some of the end bosses. Uh I saw I found a link to his personal website. You can go and see Kumazaki's got like a an art blog from I don't know, before he joined HAL. Mm. And it's all pretty far out. It's kind of dark space beasts and things. Okay. Like, this is, this is clearly an obsession for him. There may be, like, 
a bit better behaved than a Sakurai games. I think that's the difference between the two of them. I think Sakurai's just, you know, as we know from Smash Brothers, he's a bit of like an everything but the kitchen sink kind of designer. Right. I think he just goes for it. He goes for it. And I think Kumizaki like creates it a bit better and I think that's maybe why like modern Kirby lands a bit better for me. Like it just it you know, it still has all the character and the madness, but it's a bit more cleanly presented and packaged. Where Sakurai's just like, you know, you know, Superstar sells itself as, it's eight games in one. And you're like, what does that even mean? It's like <laughs> a really hectic idea. Obviously, there are other people involved with these. And I do like my neat narratives. It's a bit like Ace Attorney, how they sort of Takumi and post-Takumi. <laughs> but I think, I think it is true of Kirby too. That's interesting. Um, so, Matthew, I, one, thing I, one thing I did want to do on this, if you don't mind, is I'm going to read out um, the discussion in the Iwata Ars about... Um, uh, Kirby's Adventure Wii, just where um, they discuss what the idea of a Kirby game is and their different opinions on it. So I'm just going to read those out, if that's all right. Um, yeah, go for it. So, uh, okay, so first of all, um, Awata says, um, I feel like Kirby contains a lot. After all, he can uh, inhale just about anything, so anything fits. This is um, uh, Yuri Hattori, who's a, a planner. Um, I agree, his appearance and abilities are ever-changing, which should be his greatest attribute, but he doesn't need to transform and can cruise along just fleeing his enemies. That flexibility is part of Kirby. I think anything is possible sums up Kirby. I think that whatever we add or subtract, Kirby is Kirby, so I don't insist on any one particular thing. What each person thinks is probably right. So I think that the essence of Kirby is that which is not determined, but at the same time doesn't budge. So here's an, another answer from um, Shigafumi Kawase, who's the producer. In games like Kirby's Dream Course, Kirby Tilt and Tumble, and Kirby Mass Attack, Kirby can do anything depending on the game's materials. So I think the essence of Kirby is the player being able to turn into any um, into whatever form he or she wishes. Um, and then um, Kumizaki here. Um, At first glance, it has mass appeal and casts a broad net, but you can enjoy feverish ac- action. A lot of Kirby games' appeal is in its cute and amusing appearance, but the action is surprising, the setting deep, and the development's thrilling. I think the essence of Kirby lies in its broad appeal and the way both adults and children can enjoy its depth. When we make a game, we're careful to ease players in during the first half and suddenly increase the, the tension in the second half. I feel like that bit should have brackets, God in space in it. Um, <laughs> but um, those are like um, three of the answers there. I've got one more here from um, uh, Hiroaki uh, Nakano, um, who worked on the game, So, um, who I think is a uh, maybe like a technical producer. I didn't know their right. job title, unfortunately. Um, this isn't a very developerly way to put it, but for me, Kirby is about super excitement. That was my impression as a child playing Kirby. It surprised you and stimulated your imagination, imagination. So you thought, "What's this?" And Kirby can do that too. As you're playing, you grow elated. To me, that is the essence of Kirby. So it's just really interesting that a series can have this many entries, go on for so long, be such a noted Nintendo icon, but still, no one really agrees on what Kirby is, other than Kirby is whatever we want Kirby to be, and that's kind, mm. that's kind of strange for a Nintendo series, because people have such a firm idea of what a Metroid or a Zelda is. So it's just, it really is its own beast compared to those, you know? Any thoughts on that? I wonder if some of this can can all be traced back to Sakurai still, in terms of, like, what he values, the kind of period he grows up in, the games he's playing. Like, Kirby, as flashy and as, as like, classy and as technologically, like, marvellous as it can be, it feels like very old-fashioned and video gamey and that sort of essence of sort of video gaminess is it's like very like artificial and abstract it's kind of what i associate with 
the earlier games, you know, your sort of 70s, 80s, where, you know, graphics aren't there. There's a lot more weird games where you're just collecting fruit as an abstract shape. You know, it's it's not as, like, sophisticated a kind of concept. And because of that, I think because of that sort of artificiality and how abstracted Kirby is from, like, any recognisable things, like, just if you compare him to, like, Mario who's like a guy who's going to rescue someone and do something you know there's 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 so much sort of shape already with Mario and Kirby there isn't and i think because of that it creates this huge vacuum where all this stuff can happen where everyone can shove in all their mad ideas and i think different people can kind of imprint on him in different ways it's going to sound really dumb i think the fact that he's a ball is like really helpful <laughs> like right. He can just, you can make a ball work in a lot of different games. Like, we talk about all these spin off games, but like a golf game and a breakout clone, you know, a pinball game, they only work because he's a round thing, um, <laughs> which is convenient. That's, that's the thing why I said about like, I couldn't really see like Miyamoto making this game. I think there's too much logic in Nintendo games. Like, you know, they're always talking about their thought process and their design process uh, on the Mario games as, you know, kind of. Uh, sort of form and function where you look at something and you're like this this has to clearly like illustrate how it behaves like the design of this world or the design of this creature stems from like what its purpose is in the world where kirby i think is like here's a fucking easter island head here's like a dog and now you're eating a curry and you're it, it's it none of it is kind of like based on any logic it's kind of completely unhinged yeah that is the big like how nintendo difference and that kind of slight disconnect from logic is probably what what kind of invites kirby to be all of stuff yeah as yeah. Well. yeah very nicely put um so what do you think makes a great kirby game matthew do you have a, a core set of principles that you like to see in kirby beyond the escalation that we've already discussed that sort of really is it for me i mean a lot of what i love is shaped by the kumizaki stuff in that i think he takes all those wild powers and he builds a slightly more sensible campaign you know you're going through worlds there are hidden collectibles that require quite specific power use to use i think the sakurai stuff is a bit more like you've got all these powers go crazy like there's there's less like design for each power there are definitely segments where like you're meant to use wheel kirby to like run through this kind of racetrack or whatever but there's a lot more of that i'd say in modern kirby it's a it's a a bit better behaved in that way so i like that he kind of colors within the lines a bit more but he also take i like that he takes those lines to a wild place it's interesting his answer that you read out like he mentioned action and intensity quite a lot Mm. but this is a guy who likes action games that really comes through like where he takes his games yeah for sure um, should we talk about Kirby's appearances in other games, Matthew? Because um, Kirby is obviously a founding character of uh, Smash Bros, which is uh, another HAL um, series that grows out of being this kind of like uh, kind of tech demo fighting game. And then basically Sakurai pitches it to Miyamoto as um, like a, a Nintendo character's guest appearances. And uh, this was all in the Schmapulations interview, but Miyamoto was very impressed by how Mario was presented in the game, for example. And then it kind of um, it kind of goes from there. Um, so do you think Kirby is a good fit for other games is there like a a kind of element that makes him a good a good kind of like sort of mascot within a series of mascots for something like Smash Bros I I just wonder if like the Smash Brothers thing is more just like a perfect storm in that rather than Kirby being a good fit for Smash Brothers I think 
all the other Smash Brothers characters are like, they're they're almost like the Kirby version of themselves. Right, yeah. Like like what Sakurai does is he looks at Mario and goes, "How would Mario work as a Kirby power up?" That's how it feels to me. Like the button inputs for Smash Brothers are the same as the button combos for like Kirby's copy uh, combos mm. in Superstar. You know, there's an up ability, there's a forward ability, there's a down ability. You know, he's thinking in those terms like one thing I was going to mention earlier, it's a complete side note, but, like, there's a boss in Superstar, which is Master Hand from Smash Brothers. Right. Like, it has the same animations. It's attached to, like, a big face in, in, in Kirby, but you fight its hand, and it kind of, like, you know, it kind of walks in on its fingers, and it makes, like, a gun symbol and shoots you. It tries to swat you like a fly, and you're like, Sakurai is just sitting on all this stuff, I think, waiting for an opportunity. Right. Um, getting into, like, Kirby more recently... And then going back to Smash Brothers, and those Awata asks about Smash Brothers, you know, they talk about it like it's quite a wild idea making Smash Brothers. You know, it's quite like a, wow, is this going to possibly work? Can we possibly do it? It feels sort of inevitable from his Smash, from his early Kirby games mm. when I go back to them. And I don't know if that's just me, like, sort of forcing that on them because I know that Smash Brothers come and I've read all these interviews. But I don't think the leap is as big as... It doesn't seem as big to me, anyway. I really love that notion, the idea that like each character is the Kirby version of themselves. It's a really nice way of putting it. So the hilarious thing is, in one of the later, I think it's, I think it's Amazing Mirror, they add the copy ability, which gives Kirby his Smash Brothers moveset. Right. So it becomes a copy ability. I think maybe that's what triggered the thought. You're like, well, that is just, I mean, yeah, of course that's how this works. Yeah, know? yeah. No, that's really good. Um, yeah, I think what is kind of like... Uh, funny as well as you saying i do like my neat narratives and you do but they um they do work nicely when discussing the kind of course of nintendo history in particular which is slightly opaque you know um but oh, that's it's, it's the stuff of always terrible video essays though isn't it it's where you take something and if you say it with enough authority people are like mm, yeah that sounds legit <laughs> and you're like it's based on nothing <laughs> well the thing is um the iwata ask does like color in a lot of the the sort of like lines for you like it, it does tell mm. you so much that you otherwise wouldn't know it's why they're such a fantastic resource but um mm. it is it, it, true that there is like a certain amount of jigsawing with this it's not like there is like the you know twenty thousand word polygon oral history of this you know um sort of this mm. series so it is more pieced together but it does kind of make sense so yeah i agree with you i think that like um i thought it was always, always funny as well that sakurai was being asked about whether Kirby was like um, deliberately made more powerful because it was a character he created, which he's always insisted is not the case. But um, Kirby, right. was, Kirby was definitely hot bullshit in melee. I would say um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my. Well, that's take. everyone's starter character, isn't it? That's the because whenever you are introducing someone to Smash Brothers, you always give them Kirby, yeah. and you're like, you can jump loads, so it's easy to get back on. And if you go above anyone and just slam down on them as a rock, it's like really funny. It, that that's always good. That's the first character I played. Yeah, yeah, and you know he is just very nicely done. the The flying ability works very well. It's it's all very like neatly done for sure. There's there's so much. There's also like, and this is definitely true. As Sakurai put so much Kirby stuff around the edges of Smash Brothers, like the trophies and the music and things. Like mm. Kirby is overrepresented compared to other Nintendo characters, given his relative fame. Yeah, you know, but there's lots of stuff that going back and playing Kirby more recently. I'm like, oh, it's that guy from Smash Brothers, rather than, oh, it's that Kirby character. Yeah. I only know their names because they were trophies in Smash Brothers because they're <laughs> so abstract. You're like, oh, it's that face thing or whatever. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, it's Knuckle Joe, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> when I um, installed, uh, when I played a bunch of the um, a bunch of Kirby games yesterday, just to prep for this episode, when I was playing Kirby's Dream Land Two. I had to remind myself that a Waddle Dee was not a character from um, the Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. Um, that dream sequence, because <laughs> oh, like, because right. <laughs> obviously the whole thing with Link's Awakening it is this kind of weird, these weird characters from other Nintendo series, just slightly kind of dream warped versions of them. Um, mm. And so, yeah, that was um, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that this is where these guys are from. And like, I was trying to work out what I, I just don't know Kirby's core and iconography as well as I do the other Nintendo characters. But you're right, a lot of that stuff is. Um, is present in uh, in Smash Bros, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's quite a, a quite a nice kind of touch, I think, to um, sort of over represent the character you created in this kind of like vast array of like you know kind of yeah. corporate IP. I just quite like that as a kind of creator's touch, you know. One day I would love to ask Nintendo about what the the line is that they draw, like why Kirby isn't in Mario Kart, you know, and like why Wario is never in like mainline 3d mario like there's lots of weird questions that hang over certain characters you're like they're they're almost in the club but they're not quite like what's going on with that yeah we'll never know (laughs) okay so there's one other element i wanted to tap into here is um you you added this note matthew after a conversation we had at your house last week but there is a kind of life of kirby in the sort of meme space like or even beyond that um it's like Kirby as a game character is one thing, but there's also Kirby as a kind of like cute piece of iconography that is kind of adored by the internet. And I think that Mm. that lives very apart from his games. Like, I've never really met anyone who like adores the Kirby games, but the people love drawing Kirby and they love like, you know, collecting toys of Kirby, sharing Kirby memes. The kind of Kirby car thing was like uh, the Kirby meme was very much like the logical (laughs) conclusion of that in a lot of ways. And nintendo perhaps leaning into it um knowing it would be effective and um also the fact that like when they ever whenever they did like um, a smash bros reveal of a new character they would i think something they would always do on the nintendo japan account is show four images of what the kirby version of that character looks like when um right the powers are copied so i think there is like a life to kirby that exists outside of the games themselves and i, I think it is just because he's a cute character and quite a wholesome little little figure mm. but what do you think that is all about because have you noticed that too that like there's i don't think there's adoration yeah. for the games in that same way there is for a lot of other nintendo series but as a character he seems to live beyond the games in quite a specific way there's something about his pop culture presence which is probably the closest other video game thing is like sonic i'd say right in terms of it's kind of out there and it's it's sort of inexplicable to me and maybe i'm making that sonic link because there's quite a big kirby anime that was made mm. uh kirby was it kirby back at you and it, it it really isn't for me like that that side of kirby like the the wider kirby like transmedia project <laughs> it isn't aimed at me in the same way that i i'm very turned off by the sonic version of that and like sonic cartoons and things but maybe like this arrived at the right time and like super resonated you know maybe it is it is just a generational thing maybe we are both just a little bit too old mm. and for some people they did watch this kirby cartoon and kirby occupies a similar place to like pokemon or sonic because because it sort of escaped games in that way yeah um this feels like something jay bayless would probably know about <laughs> That's like As... both a compliment and a damning indictment, I would say. Uh... <laughs> well, he's very good for like 
like deep thoughts on bullshit. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, he'll he will appreciate that too. Yeah, I actually I would love to ask Jay about that. Actually, I might do that and come report back on what Jay thinks. To a bit of uh, I don't mean that in the nicest possible way. That isn't a burn. <laughs> no, he's really good at like the uh, sort of like grand unifying theory of like some uh, internet always online bullshit. Um, yeah, I'm just not. I'm not online enough. That's my problem with Kirby. Like, I'm online enough to know that Kirby appears in memes, but that seems obvious because he's got like a cute face. Yeah, and cute face plus like he's holding something disturbing, or whatever. I think it's, it's just. I mean, that's naturally funny. That's just a. That's an easy joke construction. I get that. The deeper level to it, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's odd. <laughs> it might just be as simple as he is cute because I don't know how pervasive that anime was, but I certainly don't feel like it was easy to watch here, for example. But, no, um, they made a special Wii channel for it oh, to right, celebrate okay. 20 years of Kirby. Mm. Like, when, when the Wii game came out, you could download this channel and just that only played the Kirby anime. Yeah. Which I think we, like, dismissed in, like, 20 words in Endgamer. <laughs> because, like I say, we were very sniffy towards Kirby. Yeah. It might surprise you to learn that I never downloaded the uh, Kirby channel on my Wii, Matthew. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's nice to know they did that. It's a nice idea. Um, okay, so last up, then, before we get to your top five, Matthew. Um, so... What are your hopes for this series? I suppose we covered this a bit in the the um, in part one, but is there anything else you kind of like yeah. want to see from Kirby going forwards, or anything you're kind of excited about with the future of the character? There's one idea that I think they've tried a couple of times and has never landed, and I think it's it's ripe um, for another go uh, with this modern Kirby team, and that is the Kirby Metroidvania. They've done this a couple of times. In Kirby Superstar and SNES, one of the games is called like Milky Way Memories. And the big gimmick in it is that he can't absorb powers from enemies. He finds a trophy and he permanently earns that power. And it means he can like rotate between them. So you're basically exploring this big branching map, trying to find the permanent upgrades. So you end up with like a wall of all his abilities and you can basically flip through them at, at will and use them like wherever they need to be used, which feels quite Metroid-y. And then Kirby and the Amazing Mirror has like a big Metroid structure in that it's got this huge branching like labyrinthine world and all these like warp doors you have to go through. But it never really makes particular there's no like power progression. It's all a bit too open from the start. And I keep thinking, actually a game where you're gated off by it like more permanent abilities and you open up a world and like it would allow you to have level design which let you kind of um like really bring each individual power to the fore because i think if there's a limit on kirby that's it like he's got so many abilities it's very rare that each of them is like properly catered to beyond just regular combat and it'd be really nice for them to go like we're gonna make a game where like everything is relevant like a, a bit more often and i think a metroidvania would do that so that's complete wishful thinking but that's if i could magic a kirby game into existence it would be a good metroid kirby game uh, rather than amazing mirror which is duff would it be mercury <laughs> steam's kirby game matthew that... <laughs> no no it would have to be made by Hal. i would insist on that okay i mean maybe mercury steam if anything i think old um kumazaki and mercury steam they'd get on like a house on fire they both love bosses <laughs> They both love mad shit. They have lots to talk about. Yeah, there you go. World's biggest um, Mercury Steam fan, Matthew Castle. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot more of them now after Metroid Dread. Yeah, um, they're good. They're game, good studio. Yeah, that game was fucking rad. Um, so yes, okay, cool. Let's take a quick break then, Matthew. We'll come back with your top five, yeah? Let's do it.
Welcome back to the podcast. So it's time for Matthew's rankings of the top five Kirby entries and he's going to share some honourable mentions as well. There are so many of these games. I'm really curious to see what makes it to the top of your pile, Matthew. Mm. Um, so tell me a bit about your methodology here, what you kind of thought about, how you arranged this list, that sort of thing. I've been replaying a lot of these games over the last couple of months, sort of for this, also because just Forgotten Land got me kind of excited for Kirby again. So I've been dipping in. I've played some things I haven't played for a long time. I've played some things I haven't played before. I'm trying to get just as a wide selection as possible. I may have done a little bit of pruning i haven't gone t- as deep into some of the spin-off games they're a bit more mainline but there are a couple of spin-offs in there i'm going to admit even though we said five it's quite a it's quite a spongy elastic five <laughs> in true kirby fashion you know i've just inhaled all the games i've maybe gone a, a, a bit a bit wild i've got a bit greedy it's kind of very much the kirby of lists it's kind of five but maybe it's closer to like seven but we'll see wow okay yeah i mean You've played with the concept of numbers themselves in order to assemble the top five. I'm excited. So why don't you kick off with your number five, Matthew? Or your number okay. seven? I don't know how you're doing this. Uh, but well, I'm actually going to kick I'm going to kick off with number six, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so I, this was a bit of a late addition because I, I was I was having an irony about it, but I think it's more than an honourable mention. I'm actually going to start off with Kirby Mass Attack on the DS which is a 2011 action game. It's the one which is a bit Pikmin-y, if you don't know it. It's a 2D game where you control a squad of up to 10 Kirbys, and you basically flick them at big monsters and pummel them in a Pikmin style. Um, Are you familiar with this game? Not in the least. Okay. It's quite a late DS game. 3DS was already out when when this one turned up. So classic Kirby fashion. yeah, a bit of a weird one. It's not made by like the mainline team at all. Um, I think the director on this is actually like a Nintendo a person on the Nintendo side, um, rather than how I say it's a bit like Pikmin. There was obviously a two D Pikmin on three DS. It was kind of terrible. I think Kirby Mass Attack is actually the better version of it. Like it's quite big and broad. Like the fact that you only ever have ten things to play with. Like, 10 Kirbys is a bit easier to manage than lots of tiny little Pikmin on a 3DS screen. Like, it makes it makes a lot more sense. Um, it sort of understands the scale of the screen it's playing with. It's uh, a big touchscreen game. It's all can played with, with the stylus. Uh, you're just, like, tapping on the screen and, and the Kirbys kind of uh, run towards that point. Or you can then, like, flick them to sort of flick them up at, like, aerial enemies and things. And really, the... the the key mechanic in this game is like knowing when to attack and when to retreat like you'll throw lots of kirbys onto something and like the enemy may like oh it's about to like shoot out spikes or it's going to go ang you know it's going to get really cross so you recall the kirbys so they don't get hurt which in itself isn't like particularly interesting and can get boring quite fast but they come up with so many ways of like using that ability so many different enemy types or weird little puzzles there's so many strange wrinkles of like all the building blocks you expect from Kirby in terms of like enemy types, but kind of recalibrated to make use of this particular control scheme. So like when you fight inevitably King Day Day Day, you're like flicking the Kirby's at his bombs to sort of like ricochet his bombs back up to him on a hot air balloon on the top screen and things like that. Um, also, absolutely superb selection of mini games in this one, which is why I ended up adding it because while uh, I was reading an interview with the director on this and they were saying that the core game is quite hard to pin down for them 
And while they were making that, they had a smaller team making mini games and it took the core game team that much longer. The mini game team were just like smashing it. They made so many good mini games that this game is just super rich. It's got a really good little shoot up where each Kirby you collect becomes like another gun that you're firing. So you end up with like 10 Kirbys shooting up the screen. It's just a real like swarm of death, which is very satisfying. It's got a Kirby pinball game, which I would say is probably better than the Game Boy Pimp Kirby pinball game. Wow, like okay. as a standalone mini game. Wow. Um, so like, like almost worth playing just for that. Uh, and then there's like a weird sort of quick time event Kirby RPG, I would describe it as, which unlocks much deeper into the game. Between these things, there's so much stuff going on in this game. It's, it's, it's really fun, really wild. It's quite expensive to buy on DS. Uh, if you've got a Wii U, I would really recommend buying this on Wii U Virtual Console because the game looks absolutely amazing on the gamepad screen. Ah. You can, because it's stylus only, you can use the gamepad in uh, vertical mode and have it fill like the whole screen and the sprites just look absolutely gorgeous a big wii u virtual console recommend from me wow okay yeah so i did look it up on ebay as you were discussing it and yeah you're looking at like 40 quid plus for that for this one unfortunately um late ds game and obviously the retro price is kind of spiking that's a big part of it but yeah knowing it's on the wii u that's uh that's cool matthew what an interesting uh sounding um thing just compare like you say just this kind of sums up the lack of um pattern between these games more than anything really. <laughs> right. just control these multiple kirby's in um pikmin fashion it's also like that thing we we're talking about how it's quite cursed where kirby inhales like obviously he doesn't inhale anything in this because he's much smaller right but the sight of like 10 kirby's like battering a lot of animals to death <laughs> it's just like his 10 kirby's killing a giant bird between them <laughs> it's quite very sinister. Makes me think of all the uh, Elizabeths at the end of Bioshock Infinite drowning Booker for some reason. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's very much the that of Kirby. <laughs> or uh, Murder on the Orient Express, if you care for, if you care for another example. Uh, <laughs> oh, very good. Um, so what's your number five then, Matthew? Uh, number five, uh, this is the more obvious DS pick. This is Kirby Power Paintbrush. I think people go at, maybe went a little like overboard on how good this one was originally because it's quite an early good DS stylus game and people were just wanted stuff which really lent into what made the DS interesting. So you don't control Kirby directly, he's just a rolling ball in this one, but you draw like a rainbow thread onto the screen and it becomes like a ramp that you sort of fire him up. So you're kind of he's ever moving, you're kind of steering him by drawing platforms into the world. So a classic kind of DS concept. I must admit, I find this one a little stressful because Kirby's like constantly moving. Like you're controlling the world around him rather than him directly. And that that gives me the fear a bit. Like there's an ever like forward march of death in this <laughs> where you're like, oh God, I've got to keep up with him. It's like the blast core of Kirby games, <laughs> you know, where you're like, oh, I've got to protect this guy somehow from all this other stuff using these lines but it's very creative also for our kirby timeline very very important game this is uh shinya kumazaki's first big one he has been involved with kirby up until now but he is responsible for the end boss and the end boss only (laughs) wow of power paintbrush so this is where like a mr boss first turns up and he's like don't worry i've got you there's this thing it's going to turn into like a nightmare eye and float around the screen and everyone's like this guy's the got the stuff How's this one in terms of like um, availability, Matthew? Is this also on the um, Wii U store? A bit more readily 
readily available than Mass Attack, but I would still suggest, yeah, it's a Wii U VC game. Some people might ask, why not the Wii U semi-sequel to this, Rainbow Curse, which is basically the same game on Wii U, except uh, it had this, like, plasticine look, which I don't like. I think it, it was trying to do the kind of epic yarn thing, but I don't think it ever really justifies it. Right. Like, it never finds anything interesting to do with the plasticine look, and it looks quite ugly. It doesn't control as well as the DS game. Also, the DS game does have a few copy abilities, like the nature of Kirby, the ever-forward-moving ball, can change, but you can't in the Wii U one. Stick with the DS one um, all the way. Right, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Great stuff. So uh, what's uh, your number four? Next up, we're going to talk Epic Yarn. Oh, yeah? Um, Which you have played? Yeah, that's right, yeah. I I was sort of, like, um, drawn to it at the time on Wii by the, um, the very... Uh, nice uh, kind of like you know wool based uh, character designs and such um, I found it like uh, I suppose like not a mind blowing game but the look of it was was nice and it was a kind of hit of nos- a Kirby nostalgia when I was right in the mood for it um, was this yeah. a big deal on Endgame when it came out? Reasonably I must say I was a little cooler on it uh, than other people on the team I didn't I didn't review it I don't know if we even did a cover for it because Kirby was a bit of a risk back then. Right, right. Like, you wouldn't put Kirby naturally on the cover. You know, he was a bit of an odd one. It's no WWE um, 2008 or whatever it was, but, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Biceps the size of small cows. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. the promise. Maybe we did... T- oh, no, I... Th- I can't remember. That's terrible. Anyway. Um, <laughs> huge amount of buzz for this one, though. Like, it does jump off the screen. Like, definitely when they announced it... It was one where non-Nintendo people in the office were like, oh, that looks really neat. It looked really cool. This is, I think, before Nintendo had kind of like... They didn't drive the kind of handcrafted aesthetic into the ground, but they definitely overdo it a bit. And I don't think it's ever as good as it was here. Tellingly, this game famously doesn't start as a Kirby game. It's, It's made by a company called Good Feel. They were making a game called Fluff's Epic Yarn. And Fluff is in the Kirby game. There's a character called Prince Fluff, who you may note looks an awful lot like Kirby. <laughs> and there's some quite funny side eye in the Iwata asks of this, where they're like, so you're making this game and it's not at all a Kirby game, but someone's like, well, it really does look like Kirby though. <laughs> Which I like the idea of this team just like basically ripping it off. And not just ripping it off, but trying to sell it to like Iwata, who is like Mr. Kirby. <laughs> Like, if anyone is going to know a Kirby game when he sees one, it's him. <laughs> yeah, kind of weirdly reminds me of the whole Dinosaur Planet Star Fox thing, where it's like, well, this guy looks like Fox McCloud, but that was much more much more ill-advised, uh, I would say, right. as a decision. But uh, yeah, sorry, continue. I'd say its roots are quite obvious that it's, this wasn't a Kirby game to begin with. Like, there's, there's not a lot of Kirby in it, apart from the cuteness. Like, it doesn't have the copy abilities... It's if anything, it's a slightly more traditional, better behaved platformer because he doesn't have the infinite jump either. Mm. I'd say it's maybe like more of a technical platformer than the other Kirby games, I and mean, it's still quite easy. Um, but you can't just float over challenges; you do have to kind of play by its rules a bit more. I'm actually going to recommend the 3DS version of this over the Wii version, mm-hmm. which is Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn. Because in that, they did add copy abilities. That is the extra thing they added. Mm. You basically get a series of hats which add extra abilities. He didn't really need them. The game's difficulty is kind of tuned for Kirby as he was in the original. But it feels to me more like a proper Kirby game now that you can also chuck bombs or you can throw, like, um, sewing pins at enemies. They're all kind of thread-based skills. 
Um, and I think like what you lose on big TV scale of the visuals, I think you kind of gain maybe in in that complexity. It also adds a difficulty mode where um, and get this, Kirby is pursued by a flying devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. But Kumazaki wasn't involved with this one. He wasn't involved in it, but you can sense that maybe they're trying to impress him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like that's the difficulty mode is that you have to do the level, except there's like a devil constantly on your tail, <laughs> which <laughs> which is like very odd. <laughs> so my memory of this one, Matthew, is that even though it doesn't have the copy abilities, it does have like a, a sort of preset series of things to transform into. Um, that's you, how they do it, you right? sort of yeah you you transform into like these big like knitted sort of tanks and there's like a mole one that digs uh a ufo I mean, they're they're really good and that is quite kirbyish that feels like something that maybe wouldn't have happened without the kirby angle um you'd think but they're they're probably more like like the mouthful transformations in forgotten land mm. they're kind of like this is the bit you're in a tank, you're going to do this for like 30 seconds. It's like a set piece, and then it's done. I prefer the, the the flexibility of you're in a level, you're doing your platforming, you're doing your action, and you have some choice over what abilities you bring with you. I think that's the more interesting side of Kirby. But those transformations are spectacular, and they're really, really well handled. And I don't know, maybe you want to go with the Wii version of this to see it on the big screen. I, that, that, there's there's value in both. What I'd really like is like a proper HD HD do over of this yeah I, th- I think this would really pop on switch if they if they took those 3ds editions and just like made like a really sharp 1080p version or just playing it on the oled screen would be like yes please this is the kind of game where i feel like it could just do with like a sort of 20 quid digital only sort of like um re-release right. do you know what i mean that sort of scale as opposed to like 40 quid in a box or whatever like i think it's yeah it would suit that quite well you know but um you do yeah i don't know what good has been up to since actually i don't know if like we're sort of owed a game from them but i wonder if there's a another kirby in the works somewhere it feels like there's too much good buzz around this one not to build on it yeah we well, um, are you a big like um yoshi's uh woolly's world crafted world guy uh, is that like your bag they're okay I, I don't think the they do the art style half as well as this like this really commits to the you know, you're unraveling stuff and Kirby's Epic Yarn sort of presents the world as if it was like a big cloth backdrop and you can kind of pull on threads and it all kind of like pulls together and shifts all the platforms about. Like it's a far more like tangible place mm. where the Yoshi stuff is just like, it's a Yoshi game, but everything's got a texture on it that makes it look like fabric. It's not quite the same. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So yes, Kirby's Epic Yarn, a game that I have come to love uh, for its cuteness and aesthetic over time. Yeah, great stuff. I think that's also f- reasonably like reasonably cheap on Wii. That one, um, I think it's cheaper yeah, on Wii, Wii than it's on Virtual 3DS. Console as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good stuff. So uh, yeah, get on it. This is a big Wii U pitch episode. Everything's good on Wii U when it comes to this character. Yeah, that Matthew had to buy again because he'd um, sold this Wii U and hadn't transferred his purchases. Or did you get that sorted in the end, Matthew? Someone in the Discord was saying you could sort that. Uh, someone did help me, but I haven't got it sorted yet because I'm uh, <laughs> ungrateful shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, on that um, happy note, is, uh, are we on to a number three now? We're going for the SNES Kirby Superstar. Okay. Which is the famous eight games in one, which is, a, I think, a bit of a fib. I'd say it's more like... A couple of mini games and a single player campaign that's been cut up into smaller campaigns. Yeah. Is really the shape of this. Spring Breeze, which is the first campaign, is famously an abridged version of Kirby's Dreamland on the Game Boy. So it's basically like playing a slightly 
slightly cut down version of that but it's got the same like flow of levels and bosses except with the full copy abilities that they added for superstar so that's what's fun about this game it's like playing with those deeper powers you get an ability and it's got like six different moves and you can really kind of go to town with that Mm. can Um, i I throw the trivia here that uh spring breeze is a reference to the uh, original kirby's dreamland um uh, like a phrase in the original manual for kirby's dreamland i believe that's where that came from i read i read that in the reading materials he supplied me so i um i assumed you knew it too but (laughs) there's a really good sakurai interview about superstar that they did for the snes mini Mm. i passed me by when it originally came out it's got this really funny story about the Kirby power Mike Kirby, which is Kirby. He shouts into a mic. One of the sound bites he says is, it sounds like a man saying Chester. I don't know what he's actually saying. Right. But that's Sakurai. Sakurai's voice <laughs> is the sound clip. In the interview, he talks about recording it at their studio, which is apparently like Howell's studio at the time is quite out in the sticks. And he's in the sound booth shouting Chester into the mic. Right. Like, Chester! Chester! He says it in a really, like, powerful way. And, like, he doesn't realise that the window's open. He looks out and he describes all these workers in a nearby field looking at him. Right. (laughs) And it was more the idea that this is game studio that was, like, that close to, like, crops. (laughs) That, like... (laughs) That you could make, like, eye contact with a farmer while you were recording a Kirby sound effect just really tickled me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, another really good bit of trivia for this one, Matthew, is that, like, um, I believe they threw out most of the visuals after Donkey Kong Country came out and um, mm. they maybe changed expectation for uh, aesthetic of SNES games. But then I know how you feel about those games and uh, yeah. appearance. So what did you make yeah, of all that? Like, let's make this really ugly, like Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> and they were like, let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's the one downside. Like A lot of people ra- will rate this super high. They say it's like one of the, if not the best. Um, I, I, The backgrounds on this game, I think, are, are like hideously ugly they're very dated sort of cg sort of um sort of pit sort of digital sort of sprites but very very unpleasant yeah yeah but it's it's just it's so so packed with character this one um i think some of them are hit and miss there's a there's a mode called the great cave offensive where you're trying to collect 60 treasures from like this big labyrinth and it's it's like the worst the worst thing Sakurai is like hooked on is like very confusing mazes where you're walking through a lot of warp doors to get to like rooms that look the same. Mm-hmm. People may recognise this also from Subspace Emissary <laughs> on Smash Brothers Wii, which I think to this day is my least favourite mode in any Nintendo game. I I hate that kind of. It isn't a puzzle where you just get lost going through a load of doors that look the same. Like, it's like someone plays the Mario Ghost House in Super Mario World and went, oh, let's just make a whole game of that. You're like, well, that's not. It's a terrible idea. That's my miniature Kirby maze rant. Um, <laughs> my favourite mode in this game is this one called uh, Revenge of Meta Knight, which is a little platforming campaign where Kirby is basically trying to bring down Meta Knight's ship, the Halbeard. Mm. And it's not mechanically any different, really. It's just like a series of levels where you're going through like the interior of the ship. But through the whole campaign, it's overlaid with like conversations with all Meta Knight's minions, basically like freaking out that you're destroying the ship. Right. Okay. <laughs> and it's it's like weirdly cinematic. Like it, it's also, I think, like a. And again, this is just me, like mapping my theories video essay style like it feels like um 
a proto Kid Icarus uprising. Right. In that he's like, you're playing an action game and all this funny stuff is being said over the top of it. Mm. So they're like, oh shit, he's in the engine room. He's like destroying the engine. What are we going to do? Meta Knight's going to be so upset with us. And like when the bosses come along, they're like, yeah, this is it. Like unleash, unleash the giant lobster. And then when you defeat it, they're like, no, he killed the lobster really easily. It's terrible. <laughs> Just really, really charming. Yeah. Um, so that's good, and 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 finally, it all tops off with that like Metroid Vainery thing, that Milky Way wishes, not memories, where you're kind of collecting the abilities. So a bit of a random grab bag of ideas, quite chaotic. It's just the most Sakurai-ish game. Like, there's so much of his creative DNA in this one particular. Like, you can see it in Smash Brothers. You can just see how so much of this stuff he's going to, like, riff on, like, specific enemies or, like, move sets or modes. It's, uh... I just think it's a really, like, important, like, Nintendo artefact and, like, worth celebrating. Annoyingly... There is a better version of this for the DS, but it's incredibly hard to find. Right. It's not on any virtual console, which is mad that it's not on the Wii U virtual console. And as a result, like the games, I think like you're going to pay like 80 quid or something for it. Right. And it's it is just a remake of the SNES game, but it's remade by our good friend Shinya Kumazaki <laughs> comes in and adds a load of mad boss bullshit at the end of it. <laughs> Wow, this theory is lining up, I would say. And, and that game, so the DS one is like Superstar Ultra. That that's one that you will regularly find at the top of people's like all-time Kirby lists. Right. If it was more readily available, maybe I would feel the same way. But I think the SNES one you can play on the Switch Online. Mm-hmm. It's got the meat of what makes this game great. Obviously, the DS one gets rid of the ugly Donkey Kong back graphics. It's just got much nicer art all round. But you know, needs must. This is very, very playable on the SNES. Um, I played it on the train to and from Lon- from London yesterday and had a very good time with it. So yeah, good stuff. There you go on the way to a bad play, apparently. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> yeah. oh one other bit of trivia about this one: a mode that didn't make the cut was a horror story. Yeah, called uh, Kagiro Mansion, where. He said Kirby's mouth was going to be sealed shut mm. so he couldn't absorb any abilities and all the abilities came from items. So if you wanted Flame Kirby, you'd have to pick up a candle and it was about exploring a haunted house. Wow. Yeah, I, I did read that and immediately thought of Luigi's Mansion. There's no link there, but um, the concept yeah. of uh, Kirby's mouth being sewn shut is like quite <laughs> quite grim, but quite in keeping with the whole body horror element of the character um, that's kind of in the background. Yeah. Good stuff. That's that is a well worth reading that interview. He's quite in quite good form, I would say. Sakurai. Um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Fun. Uh, okay, great. Um, we'll link all these materials afterwards so people can go check them out themselves. I'll, mm. I'll put that on the social on uh, on Twitter backpage pod. Um, so, what's your number two, Matthew? My number two. I'm going to go super old school. I'm going to say Kirby's Adventure for the NES. Mm-hmm. Very stripped down compared to modern Kirby. Like I say, most abilities have. If they have two attacks, they're they're rare. Most of them, you absorb them. They've got one attack, so it hasn't got the combos. But this is a beautiful late NES game. Loads of like weird surprises, loads of characterful bosses. It like establishes a lot. Well, actually, that's unfair. The Game Boy establishes a lot of the characters, but there's even more like Kirby iconography is like established in this one. I think just the fact that it has the copy abilities as well just makes it makes it that much of a step up. It's why I haven't included the original Dreamland game in this list i just feel like you need those abilities to kind of get into the get into the good stuff maybe you disagree with that i don't know no i not particularly um 
yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. What's the kind of like um, rationale behind that for you? This is. I think this is just a more complete, like coherent adventure. I think it's got a lot more of the building blocks in terms of like. There's like a lot more fun mini games. I think the bosses are conceptually a bit more out there. This does introduce the trope of you fight the final boss and then there's a cosmic horror beyond it. <laughs> right, okay. Where you fight King Denny and then you fight Nightmare and there's like a scrolling shooter before you do it. So Sakurai has fought. Like Kumazaki is just learning from the master here. <laughs> right, right, right. I was going to recommend specifically the 3D Classics version of this on 3DS. Okay. The problem with this game is that it runs quite badly on a lot of NES emulators. It did at the time as well. It's a late-game NES game, uh, late NES game, and it's technically quite demanding. There's a lot of, like, slowdown in places, mm. a lot of, like, weird visual glitches. There are certain powers freak this game out. Of the versions that I have played, and I've tried to be pretty thorough about this, the 3D Classics, which is the version where they add 3D visuals for 3DS, on top of the 3D visuals, it also runs pretty much flawlessly right if you just want the smoothest version of this game it's there but you can also play it like on switch on nez online and all that but it has got you'll be pretty shocked at how rough it is in places so yeah it's like a 1993 nez game that is late um how crazy is that like yeah <laughs> bizarre really um yeah. but i think the rationale was like it's still it was still a kind of platform that had this monster audience so it's kind of like it was still worth it for them but yeah yeah absolutely and and like it's not that long after the first curve you know it, it you're riding the wave of success of game boy it's a gateway drug it makes perfect sense that you'd go to it the box incidentally for kirby's adventure the western box it kind of encapsulates Kirby's whole deal in that the whole thing is like really cute. It's like Kirby on a bright sky, but he's kind of sucking at the edge of the box, and underneath there's just the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it, it, he's like, there's the hint of the darkness to come. Yeah, like, even on that box out, it's really funny. I never really noticed it until looking at it uh, for this podcast. So I was like, that's actually like that is kind of what Kirby's deal is. <laughs> it's yeah. like there is something beyond that you will not be able to comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing okay good well that's um that's a really interesting i didn't i didn't know it was i like, i'd never played that one so i didn't know until we were doing the research this episode just like how ambitious it was versus like the game boy ones and how strange it was that, that ambition was realized on nez rather than snares like it's uh yeah it's really good it's really rock solid like i think there is a lot of nez era games of like series you love that when you go back to them you're like oh yikes like this is really like crunchy and old. This does this just doesn't hold up. This one is like because Kirby hasn't much more complicated than this uh, ever. Right. It's it's still like bang on. Yeah. Okay. Great. So we come to your number one, Matthew. What's uh, um, what's made the cut? So my number one is kind of three games. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> So that's um, nine games in total we've got. Oh no, eight. eight. <laughs> I told you it was. This is this is this is the cosmic horror. <laughs> okay, so we've got like um, eight games in your top five. Very good. Okay. No, I'm, but I'm, I'm grouping these together because I find them. I find them very hard to untangle, and I'm, I'm grouping together the three, the three mainline Kumazaki games. Okay. Uh, Kirby's Adventure Wii, Triple Deluxe for 3DS, and Planet Robobot. Okay. You might think. You might think that's cheating. They are incredibly similar. Like, he really establishes a template on Wii, which is all the copy abilities you know and love, but he all of them have, like, proper movesets. So more so than even Superstar, everything here does multiple things. So there's, like, a, a real fun experimenting with every power. 
he introduces super abilities, which is a couple of abilities which have like giant hyper powered versions. So like a sword the size of a scre- screen, or like a fiery dragon that comes and destroys the blocks. So he he introduces this idea of like every once in a while this game will just go crazy and basically make you invincible and visually spectacular, which I really love. Kirby's Wii also has the level structure where you're collecting hidden icons to unlock harder challenges um, in the map. So there's just a lot more shape around the campaign. It's got a really good unlockable hard mode where uh, the the big treat there is basically he, re, like he said, he sort of redesigns all the bosses for the second run, which is a very platinum-y thing as well. You go in there and they've got like new moves, so you get to fight like hyper whisper, wispy woods and things, <laughs> right. which I think's a, 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 a real treat they're kind of gorgeous games they're 2d we were definitely snooty so we, this is where we went wrong i think on a gamer we were like well it's no mario galaxy and you're like well that's a bit unfair because what is you know in the 2d curvy space it was really polished really handsome it's got some really gorgeous background art the wii one and the reason i've grouped these three together is basically those like defining things like the polish the superpower the copy abilities the co- campaign structure that is what he does in the 3ds games which one you think is best i think will simply hinge on on like an aesthetic choice do you like the futuristic robot one then play planet robobot do you like the sort of fairy tale stereoscopic 3d weirdness of triple deluxe or do you like the big screen experience of kirby's wee adventure that's sort of why i find these three quite hard to untangle right okay that makes sense so was um kirby the forgotten land not um in contention for this matthew yeah that should probably have gone in there whoops (laughs) (laughs) does it maybe it needs longer to settle lots of people are going to jump into that and are maybe looking to where to go next yeah yeah and if they're doing that i would say either his wii game or one of his 3ds games if i had to anoint one king of all of them so my ultimate number one uh i think it would be planet robobot right okay yeah this is the proper God in Space finale one, right, as well? The Triple Deluxe is as well, to be, to be fair. But this this one, Robot, it ends super big. Really satisfying. The super ability that he has in this is a mech suit, which is arguably, like, the best super ability of these three games. Mm. Not only does the mech have all these interesting, like, powers, and it's this really physical thing, so there's lots of, um, there's, like, a boss where you have to unscrew bits of its body using, like, the mech's, like, wrench-like fists and things. It's really tactile. But also the mech can absorb copy abilities on top of that, so you get, like, fire mech, electric mech, wheel mech, and so it's just that bit deeper, because in Triple Deluxe, the super ability is Kirby gets this like hyper suck where he basically inhales everything on screen. So, so it's just a cutscene is what the naysayers will say. But it is so good and so funny because like all the enemies like hold on to the scenery because they don't get, get pulled into this vortex. And it like rips, you know, it like rips the graphics out of the game and all this kind of weird stuff. I love, love, love Triple Deluxe, but I think Robobot is maybe a bit more compelling because of the mech. Yeah, very interesting seeing him in his little Hulkbuster-style armour there. Oh, um, it's it's so good. And it, like I said, it, it is, the end is just... Oh, it's so it's so good. It's just so funny to see Kirby do this stuff. Yeah. Um, 
and it's got all the deep lore if you want it like if you like i say if you pause these games you can read about like the bosses and it tells you in like true dark souls style it will be like some say like the hat is the source of his power and he's actually a slave to his hat and all this <laughs> kind of stuff <laughs> amazing yeah um so yeah that's um that's 35 quid on the um to buy digitally it's more expensive if you try and buy it physically um, I regularly see this on best 3DS games lists, uh, Matthew. So this is very well liked, I believe, by um, Nintendo yeah. Hardcore. You know, so yeah, I'd say I'd say like the the three that regularly top Kirby f- lists are uh, Superstar Ultra on the DS, Kirby's Wii Adventure, and Planet Robobot. Mm-hmm. People are a little down on Triple Deluxe, but the use of stereoscopic 3D and like the way it uses like lots of interesting like parallax scrolling and like foreground background stuff that stuff is slightly diminished in Robobot because you've seen it in Triple Deluxe already or I had but I think whichever of those games you play first is going to have like more of a like visual wow factor okay interesting stuff so there we go the the um the eight games in the top five are done that's 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 kirby through and through <laughs> yeah you know it's like eight eight recommendations and five a bit of um yeah superstar this is the kirby superstar of games it's <laughs> eight recommendations in one were there any honorable mentions you wanted to throw in there matthew as well uh i quite like the first big switch one they made which is star allies mm-hmm. the interesting thing about star allies it's it's kind of kumazaki seeing through one of the failed projects which was the idea of like a, a kirby built entirely around four-player co-op I and mean, that's that was in kirby's Wii adventure as well had all that co-op stuff but uh, star allies is a lot more like the action is built for four so even in single player you can kind of possess uh, or sort of entrance three enemies to join you and you basically move as this squad you're just like a plague of locusts just chewing through the levels you're so overpowered like it's so easy even by kirby standards but there is something quite spectacular about just like four miniature gods just destroying everything in their wake that appeals to me it also has my probably favorite um final kumizaki boss where you sort of fight this sort of titan in a, in space and you're sort of flying around its legs in 3D while shooting it. And then you have to sort of fly inside of its, like, you sort of shoot its head off or something. Right. Fly inside its neck hole and then fight its soul. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I do like that your level of research has really paid off here, Matthew. You've, you identify the most fucked up kind of like end game boss thing in each one <laughs> and then like pull it out and discuss it in um shocking detail it's very very good oh, it's terrible i'm like someone who can't resist the spoiler of it but i i can't really like oversell how cool the ends to these games are like they're just and because you'll be like oh this is so cute and then it'll just go mad and you're like oh okay i didn't <laughs> see this coming um yeah that- i've like distinct memory of joe Scrabs laughing at his desk at something and just going like well what was that you know what's happening and it was just the end of one of these games he was just laughing at just the sheer madness of it right, right and like that's such a great feeling where something just takes you by so much surprise that you're just kind of giddy with it yeah no that's really cool i like that um were there any other recommendations you want to throw in there matthew any other um honorable mentions again uh, you know i mentioned it earlier like if if they should bring kirby 64 to virtual console on switch and uh, make it a bit easier to play uh, I think there's some there's some fun in that. It's like a really one of the nicest looking N64 games as well. Um, yeah, like it, it's dated fairly well compared to some of the games yeah. on that platform. I would say. I imagine some people will be a little salty that I'm quite down on the, the Game Boy Advance one, Crystal, uh, the Amazing Mirror. Right. But it just just does just, just doesn't do it for me. 
and it's that's one which will appear quite high in other lists, but not this one. Okay, well, great. Not enough cosmic horror. (laughs) (laughs) Completely fair. Um, Okay, well then we've uh, reached the end of this Kirby themed episode, Matthew. Um, Is there anything? Any any final thoughts, or are you uh, all Kirby'd out at this point? Oh, Kirby! I'm just going to go and inhale some crisps or something (laughs) Kirby style. Amazing merge. Just a foot long subway straight in. (laughs) Merge with a meatball marinara, and um, oh my god, what! Oh, what would a power would that give you? That's hor- what a horrible thought. <laughs> yeah, just like firing off kind of meatballs, like covered in tomato um, at will. Um, that's enough podcast for one day, isn't it? So um, thank you so much for listening. Matthew, I, I, I love it when you do these Nintendo deep dives or like Nintendo adjacent deep dives. I think they're kind of, they're just great. I look forward to the Mario version of one of these episodes one day. I think that'll be... Oh, I haven't pro- got the guts. Probably have to be a two-parter, that one, you know? Yeah, that's like Everest, that. Yeah, that's definitely a 2023 onwards job that one um yeah. well we've got uh i think god of war and the witcher to do before then anyway so um yeah in the series yeah, yeah. kind of round up one so um yes thank you so much for that matthew your level of effort there it was um fantastic so <laughs> uh, where can people find you on social media matthew uh at mr basil underscore pesto okay so uh, we we have i think we are committing to this date matthew of april 8th for the patreon launch now yes pushed it back slightly but we're about to record as we're recording this we're about to record our best boss battles episode that's gonna be really good i think um that'll be the first bonus episode for the um five pound ish tier that we'll have um going up uh, live on day one we've also our plan is to kind of tweet out um and explain what we'll do if we reach um like a, a higher tier and do a second extra patreon episode a month so we're gonna make it yeah. we've made a full plan almost of like um what we'll do for the year if you back us basically so you know what you're getting yeah um because we, we're big on transparency. Any thoughts on that, Matthew? I think, I think that's the way to do it. I want you to know exactly what you're going to get and what we're committing to. So Yeah. So if you pay, you'll get, you know, um, you'll definitely get the one extra podcast a month. If um, there's enough people, um, if we get make enough money, there'll be two extra podcasts a month. Everyone can download at that £5 tier. We think that's the best way of doing it. Um, again, we only encourage you to back if you can actually afford it. There's no pressure from us. We'll still make this podcast regardless. Um, if the Patreon makes under £100, we'll probably quietly close it and um, carry on with our <laughs> lives and make a, make a joke about it on the podcast. But um, the current plan is it for it to be at like patreon.com slash backpagepod on, um, on April 8th. So um, I, think, I think we'll have it all ready to go by then. We decided it's too complicated to try and put all the old episodes on there. So all we're going to do from now on is when this new series goes live which is called backpage pod xl you'll be able to download those ones and then any future regular episodes will go on the patreon too so that that feed will give you will give you access to all the patreon ones and any new ones from that point and if you want to listen to the old ones you can go do that on um you know your uh your pre- the previous um existing feeds so that's the plan matthew um exciting Sounds times. Like a good plan i think so um, we're backpagegames at gmail.com if you'd like to send us a question. There's also the Discord, which you can access on um, via our profile on Twitter. Um, join our community, which is past 300 members at this point. Very, very nice. Um, really always some, always some good chat in there. And one person saying that Airplane was their favourite film of all time. And I was like, not so sure about this thread. Might have to close the movies <laughs> thread. But um, <laughs> so it's, a fun, it's a fun film, but I wouldn't put it on my list. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with um, best games of 2012, Matthew. Exciting to finally go back to that series. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, Thank you so much for listening and be back very soon. Goodbye. Bye for now.